in God's holy word to the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we continue today going through uh, this portion of God's holy word, and everywhere we turn in holy scripture, we are struck with the majesty uh, of God, uh, the richness of, of God's revelation of, of himself uh, to us. And so as his little children, what joy we have to uh, sit at the feet of, of Jesus. Hear now the, the word of the living God. And we'll look particularly today at verse 19, uh, but let's get the context. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We'll stop reading there with God's fear word. Let's pray.
Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, and that you would come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, and as we look at your Word, that you would take this, the very Word of your mouth, and that you would speak it to our hearts, and that you would revive us this day, we who know you and love you. And Lord, that you would claim lost sheep uh, to run to you, Lord Jesus. Come now and bless us with your sweet, powerful gospel. In Jesus we pray, amen. Do not quench the Spirit. Well, um, in these commands, instructions that God has given, at the end of this uh, first letter to the church at Thessalonica that the Lord gave uh, his apostle by his Spirit, uh, we come now to this short powerful command. Do not quench the Spirit. Who is in view in this text? Well, it is God the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is not just any Spirit, uh, but it is God uh, that is in view here. And the command is to not pour water to extinguish what God Almighty is graciously doing and offering us as his people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true living God is at work in this fallen world. The Spirit of God uh, is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. The one true God. Not three gods, but one. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord is one. We see in the first of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We see uh, in Scripture a God telling us that this one true God uh, is one God in three persons. We're confronted with uh, uh, the oneness and uh, that there is more than one person in the Godhead right in the first chapter of Holy Scripture. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And we could go through the Old Testament seeing uh, uh, over and over more and more glimpses of who uh, uh, the God of the Bible is. But by the time we get over uh, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, uh, we have Messiah himself speaking, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. All three persons of the Godhead being identified, specified, the one true God. 
In the New Testament, of course, this becomes even more explicit. We have in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, baptizing them in the name, singular, one name, the, the name of God. And who is the one true God? Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Each person of the Godhead is worshipped and adored. And uh, for more on that, see me afterward. Uh, but that is who is in view. Uh, we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the one true living God. And this instruction that we are considering today now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 19, says, Quench not the Spirit. And so that leads us then to the second consideration, and that is, well, why is this such a big deal? And I assure you it is. It is simply because the Spirit of the living God is the one who comes and gives life. And again, we're confronted with that in the very first chapter of Holy Scripture, where we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. That as God on the first day of creation spoke into being matter out of nothing, the entire universe comes into being. It is all formless and void. It is nothing but matter. It has no shape or form. There is no life. But it is the Spirit of God who comes and now is the agent who is going to bring order out of that formless void and to bring life where there was no life. We could go over to the book of Job and we see in two passages in the book of Job, the testimony of Almighty God in terms of the work of God bringing life. In chapter 33, verse 4, we have Elihu testifying uh, to Job, the Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Or in the very next chapter, chapter 34 of Job, verses 14 and 15, Elihu says, Job, you need to consider who God is. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. It is the Spirit of God who gives us life. It is the living God who causes men and women to come alive. The moment of conception, He makes us a living being. 
and grows us and cares for us all through life. But that is not only true that we live and move and have our being in him physically, but of course spiritually. And perhaps there is no uh, more pointed passage in all of Scripture that describes this work of God the Holy Spirit bringing life to those who were dead than in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36 and 37. In chapter 36, we have God giving promises about what would happen, what he would do when he would come. Messiah would take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He would give his spirit to make people alive spiritually. And then in chapter 37, uh, the Lord gives Ezekiel that amazing vision. Uh, He takes him out and sets him down in a valley. And it is a huge valley, and it is full of dry, dusty bones. And God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, O Lord, you know. And then God tells Ezekiel to proclaim the word of God to dead bones. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And then he instructs Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath or spirit to come and make these bones alive. And God comes by his spirit. The breath comes. And it is the same Hebrew word, ruach, that is translated either breath or spirit. It's the same Hebrew word. God is the one who gives life. We see that also in the New Testament. In the book of Titus. Uh, Chapter 3, we see that it is the Spirit of the living God who comes uh, to make dead people alive spiritually. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another." Or as Ephesians 2 describes it, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. What happened to us? Why do we love Jesus? Why do we have life in him? It is but God who is rich in mercy. Even when we were dead, God made us alive joining us to his son. And Titus 3 goes on, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Father has given his Son, and the Father and the Son give the Spirit to give spiritual life to people. As Jesus described this amazing work in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, the one who was supposed to be the teacher of the law, and yet, sadly, he had followed the traditions of the rabbis, and he did not know even the most elementary truths of the gospel of Almighty God of how to understand the Word of God. And Jesus gently, graciously takes this Pharisee and says, Nicodemus, you're supposed to be a teacher of the law. Do you not understand even this? That unless a man is born again, he can't see, he can't even see, let alone enter the kingdom of heaven. And what does it mean to be born again? The Spirit is like the wind. He blows where He wishes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so why is it such a big deal for God to warn us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. It is because the Spirit of the living God is the agent, is the person of the Godhead who comes to give us life. I want you to picture in your mind, you're on a trip, your car breaks down, it's in the wintertime, and as you have begun this journey all of a sudden a blizzard hits the temperature is plummeting your car breaks down but you see a light out one of the windows and it's a cabin and you go and sure enough the door is unlocked and you're not going to freeze to death after all and you come inside And there is a fire in the fireplace. And it's blazing. And there's a stack of wood there. Now what do you do? Well, you immediately go over to the side of the room of the cabin where there's a huge bucket full of water. And you walk over to the fire and you pour the water to extinguish the fire. Of course not. How absurd. And yet, how even more absurd it is for us as God's people to quench the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is our life. Well, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? 
Well, there are several terms that God uses in Holy Scripture to describe various aspects of pushing the Spirit of God away. Uh, We'll start with the most severe of these and work our way down to the one that we're looking at, but they're all related. All of these terms are kind of hooked together. Uh, It is uh, possible for a person to begin with just quenching the Spirit, but that progresses to insulting the Spirit, which increases uh, to uh, 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 blaspheming the Spirit. Well, we'll start with the most severe of these uh, over in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. And if you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 12. Here we have the Lord Jesus The Son of God come in the flesh, and He uh, was demonstrating His incredible power. uh, That indeed He was Messiah, God come, uh, who had taken on human flesh. And we read in verse 9, He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench." Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? 
And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Now that is a chilling warning that Jesus gives. He says that you can commit any sin, and if you turn to Jesus and believe in him, you will be forgiven. But there is one sin that if you commit and continue in until you die, there is no forgiveness for that sin. And it is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, simply, it is to deny the testimony of Jesus that the Spirit is giving until your death. It is to deny the truth that the Spirit of God is declaring until you die. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I, I've had people ask me through the years, you know, Henry, I don't think there's any hope for me because years ago I, I, I was confronted with the truth and, and I pushed the gospel away. And I think maybe I've committed the sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And the wondrous truth of the gospel is that the Apostle Paul, for example, let's consider him. What did the Apostle Paul do before he became a Christian? He blasphemed against Almighty God. He denied who Jesus of Nazareth is. He spent his entire life up to that point on that road to Damascus, up until that point, he was eaten up with zeal to stamp out the name of Jesus and anyone who bore his name. But what happened to him? Uh, the Lord Jesus came and showed him his glory, and the Spirit of God touched Saul of Tarsus. And gave him life. Caused him to be born again. And what did that man do? He embraced Jesus. And so the testimony of the Spirit of God. What does the Holy Spirit testify? Well, turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, 
And here's what Jesus says. The chief message of the Holy Spirit is. Look at John chapter 16. In verse 4. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, but because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And so here Jesus is announcing that he would send the other helper. Jesus was a helper. And he and the Father would send another helper. And what is this other helper going to do? But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now go up to verse 26 of chapter 15 before we keep reading, and I want you to see Jesus telling us who this helper is. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? He will bear witness about me. And so what is it that the Holy Spirit is saying? And Jesus said to these people in Matthew chapter 12, Look, you can commit all kinds of sins, and if you repent and turn to Jesus, He will forgive you for every sin except there's one sin. If you persist in till you die, you cannot be forgiven. And that is to deny the truth, the testimony of God the Holy Spirit till your death. There's no hope for a person who denies the gospel till you die. How long do you have? Maybe you're here today and, or listening today and, and, and you know you're not right with God. Well, I'm, t I'm pleading with you in the name of God to run to Jesus and confess your sin to him and embrace him because I don't know how long you have. You don't know how long you have. You may die this very day. Run to Jesus. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts. He convinces. He's the one who speaks the word of God concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And it all has to do with Jesus. Look down in chapter 16, verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan's death grip, was broken. And now Jesus is at work rescuing 
His people, granting repentance and faith in Him. So that's the first passage. Uh, do not quench the Spirit. Uh, it, it, let's look at another passage. The next passage um, is over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you'll turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 10. And here is a warning given to us in the book of Hebrews. Again, it's about Jesus, but it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit that I want you to notice again is in view. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start reading in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And so here's the imagery of the, of the temple there in Jerusalem. But the book of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, by the power of the Holy Spirit says, listen, the temple there in Jerusalem, that was just a shadow of the, of the temple in heaven. And God has opened the way for us to come into the very throne room of heaven through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died, you remember the curtain there in the physical temple in Jerusalem was ripped in two from top to bottom. And Josephus tells us uh, in his writings uh, a, a fascinating thing about this curtain. It was over three inches thick. Now, that's a piece of tapestry. Three inches thick. I mean, that's, that's a huge piece of fabric. And it was ripped in two, separating the holy place from the holy of holies there in the temple in Jerusalem. When Jesus died, God Almighty, the Father, ripped that curtain into signifying that through his son now, the way into the very holy of holies, into the very presence of God, is opened up for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so that's what's being referenced here in Hebrews 10, verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up or provoke one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately or willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. 
but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and now here's the phrase I want you to notice, and has outraged or insulted the spirit of grace. And so here's another spine-tingling warning in Holy Scripture about in the presentation of the gospel, if we see the truth about who Jesus is even a little bit and we treat it with disrespect with disdain if we do not quickly run and embrace the Lord Jesus if we persist in that attitude till we die what awaits us because by so doing We are insulting the spirit of grace. And here it describes people who were professing Christians. At one time they said, oh yeah, I love Jesus. He's the one I want to follow. But in the course of time, these people, because of the persecution or because of riches, that lured their hearts away to other things. They turned their back on Jesus. They took like he was something delicious to taste and put it in their mouth and chewed on it a little bit and said, Woo, that tastes good, but you know, on second thought, I don't want it. And spit him out. And by doing so, they outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to quench the spirit. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, the last passage we'll look at is in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. And here, a passage very familiar 
over the last year, we went through the book of Ephesians, and we looked at this very passage. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to remind you in this passage that describes a person growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are putting off the remnants of the old man and putting on the new person in Christ more and more. And in this context of putting off and putting on, look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as he is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so here's another passage that warns us. Be careful with the presence and the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of life. And here it's in the context of a Christian insulting, grieving the Holy Spirit. Think about somebody coming to visit in your home. You know, and they knock on the door and you see it it is, you know, uh, one of your family members. And, And you say, oh, it's so good to see you. Come on in. And then you spit on them. And you walk up to them and slap them in the face. Ooh. I mean, what is going on here? Well, God describes that kind of, of, of carelessness in the way we speak to one another. That there's a guest who's there in our hearts that God himself has taken up residence and the Spirit is called who? The Holy Spirit. And when we don't act as God's children, we are spitting on this one who we ought to view with the greatest of respect and reverence and welcome him and Act in such a way that would show him honor. And when I just let anything come out of my mouth, the way I speak to my wife or my children, I am grieving the Holy Spirit. I am insulting the Spirit of God who has taken up residence. He keeps going, giving us more examples. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We haven't even talked about uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That He's the one who is the guarantee, the down payment after we become a Christian. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how the Spirit of God seals us. He's the guarantee, the down payment that the Father has given to us that reminds us that indeed Jesus is going to come again and he's going to complete this experience of ours to be completely delivered from sin on that great day when Jesus comes again. And so in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so these passages help us have a, a, a better understanding now of why this instruction over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 is such a big deal. It's a short little verse, yes. But God says, do not quench the Spirit. Because all of us, whether we realize it or not, we are in a situation even more desperate than a person who was on a journey in your car and it breaks down and a blizzard is raging and you're going to freeze to death if you don't find some shelter someplace. And here's this wonderful, beautiful cabin that is all warm and there's a fire in it. And who in their right mind would take a bucket of water in that context and douse the fire in that fireplace? We need the Spirit of God even more than that scenario. And so, what does it mean? What does it look like to quench the Spirit? Well, we're going to save one of the most prominent aspects of quenching the Spirit, but I want to just mention it. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit... And notice verse 20, the very next verse, despise not prophecies. And so one of the most basic ways that we quench the Spirit is to not read the Word of God and pay attention to it. If you don't read the Word of God, that's what it looks like to quench the Spirit. If you in your families are not reading the Word of God, that's what it looks like to quench the Spirit. If you are not eager to gather with God's people that Jesus would come and by His Spirit speak His life-giving Word to us, as we read in Psalm 22, verse 22, Jesus says, in the midst of the congregation, I will make the Father's name known to my brothers. When we don't want to gather, we are quenching the Spirit. And we'll talk more about despising prophecies next time we look together. But when the Holy Spirit brings His Word to us, when He is touching our heart and we ignore it, suppress it, deny it, argue against what we know is what God wants us to do, we are quenching the Spirit. That's what it looks like. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not what? Lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. 
quenching the spirit, what does it look like? Well, a husband and a wife have a disagreement. And when we are not quick and eager to humble ourselves and to pursue reconciliation, and we harden our hearts and insist on our rights and our way, rather than the peace that comes with the Lord Jesus bringing His gospel to bear, when we refuse to forgive of sin and pursue reconciliation, when we refuse to let go of petty things, that's what it looks like to quench the Spirit. When our parents tell us to do a job, and we know Jesus has said, children, obey your father and mother, and we say, I don't want to. And we may not say it out loud, but if you even say it in your heart, that's what it looks like to quench the Spirit. Rather than us giving ourselves and welcoming the testimony of God Almighty, the Spirit of the living God, when we have ought with a friend, a falling out, what does God call us to do? He calls us to seek to be reconciled. When God says we need to tell the truth, but we press on in the lie, we are quenching the Spirit. Over in the book of 1 Timothy, we're going to close, and I, I want to just uh, uh, highlight a couple of things that happens when we quench the Spirit. It begins taking us down this road of grieving the Spirit and then insulting the Spirit. And ultimately, it can lead to blaspheming. And here we have in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 some men who are mentioned by name who went down that road. I want you to look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of our instruction is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Here, uh, God says, you need to keep a clear conscience, a good conscience. How do you get a good conscience? Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 God tells us that you get a clean conscience by believing in Jesus, by confessing your sins to Him. And if somebody else is involved, you confess your sin to them and ask for forgiveness. And you have a clean slate between you and God through the blood of Jesus. Oh, praise God for Jesus cleansing our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Well, look at the end of this chapter, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience 
By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to what? Blaspheme. They were on the road to this final stage of committing this, this blasphemy against the testimony of the truth of the gospel. They were on the road to destruction. The Apostle Paul had exercised loving biblical church discipline to arrest them from that plunge into the very pit of hell. That God would shake them awake like the rumble strips on the side of the road. How many of you enjoy riding on those? Uh, that's the point. They're there. And if you get on them, you go, yuck, I don't want to be on this rumble strip so that you'll get back on the road. And that's why Jesus has given to us His Spirit to convict our hearts, not because He hates us, but because He loves us. He doesn't want us to keep going off the road of life. And if we don't listen to His Word, then the Spirit of God has other classrooms that He takes little Henry to that are a little more remedial. Um, that's why, children, when your parents discipline you, I can remember my dad telling me, when he was going to spank me. Now, Henry, this hurts me more than it does you. And I always thought, nah. I mean, I didn't say it, but I thought that can't be. You know, I'm the one getting the spanking. But indeed, indeed, it does grieve a, a parent's heart to have to, to have to cause momentary discomfort. Why? Because... You love your child. And so it is with church discipline. It's done not because God hates us, but to shake us awake so that we'll run back to Jesus. And here were men who had refused. Look at chapter 4. And this is the last verse we'll look at. 1 Timothy chapter 4. What happens when a person persists on and on and on quenching the Spirit? It's a scary thing. Now the Spirit says that, expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Here are people whose consciences were seared. Their conscience had been bludgeoned over and over and over. And the picture is a hot branding iron placed on their conscience over and over and over and over to the point where now there's this hard, hard callus that has grown over it so that their conscience doesn't bother them anymore. Oh, may the Lord bless us this day to give ourselves anew to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I do not want to quench your spirit. Give me a soft heart. 
Give me a heart that as soon as you tell me something from your word, I will pay attention and respond appropriately. And if you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus, I pray that God will awaken you to the fact that you need to run to Jesus this day and heed the gospel. Jesus offers you forgiveness and life. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And then for those of us who are Christians, God says, don't quench the Spirit. He is the most important guest who will ever be in your presence. And we want to live in such a way. What we watch on TV, what we speak, how we treat the people around us so that we do not insult this most precious friend who is the agent of life. God Almighty who comes and gives us life in the gospel. And the Lord has given us this warning not to discourage us, not to terrify us, but to cause us to run to Jesus and say, Oh Lord Jesus, save me and keep me and give me a soft heart. Give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see your glory, Lord Jesus. Uh, if there's something that the Lord has convicted your heart of, something that you know you need to do or say to husband or wife or parent or child or brother or sister, don't delay. Uh, follow what God says in his word. Doesn't matter what other people think. Do what's right in God's sight. Trust and obey Jesus, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Do not quench the Spirit. Amen. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, there's not a single one of us in here who at times have not quenched and grieved your blessed Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we run to you this day and we confess our sin to you. And we pray that you would keep us uh, soft toward you. That you, O oh God the Spirit, that you would continually be reviving our hearts to see the beauty of Jesus and to love him and trust in him. And that we would keep short accounts with you, the living God, and short accounts with the people around us in our own families, in our church family, in the workplace. Oh, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Have mercy upon us. Give us joy and gladness now as we continue to worship you, the God of our salvation. In Jesus we pray. Amen.